What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your earning power doesn't have to stop at 5 p.m. Special solo show for you this week. A time to revisit some of the most impactful advice from the last year or so of Side Hustle Show guests. This is the eighth installment of what's become an annual tradition on the show called What I've Learned and Applied from 49 Awesome Entrepreneurs. Stick around in this one to hear how I interpret the advice, how you can implement it in your own side hustle, and how I've been applying it in my own life and business. Now, I'm not going to read all 49 of these off uh, one by one, but if you do want to see the full list of tips, just visit sidehustlenation.com slash tips8, T-I-P-S, and the number eight. I've compiled them all over there for you, and I'll link up the previous number one tips roundups there as well. Instead, I've chosen a few to highlight here that I think are worth revisiting. First among those is Monisha Misra, who offered this up in episode 434. Surround yourself with like-minded people, or at least one person who can truly understand what you're going through. Because I think like your friends and family, they're always going to be there. They're going to be your number one supporter. You know, they're going to cheer you on. But I think it's really important to have people who can know what it feels like at three in the morning when you're working on strategy or how to, you know, fix a broken system or, you know, solve a problem. And whether that is through a Facebook community group or just like an entrepreneur group or even just someone, you know, who started something, I think it's really important to not try to do it alone because it can get a little lonely. (laughs) It's been a weird year, no question. And starting a side hustle can be an isolating endeavor, even in normal times. Your friends want to hang out, go to the bar, and you're prioritizing working on your business instead. It's going to rub some people the wrong way. On top of that, they're not really going to be able to relate to the same challenges or struggles you're facing or really understand the feeling of hitting your first 100 email subscribers or the significance of your first sale or your first taste of passive income. So what can you do? Seek out community locally or online. Find the Facebook group or Facebook groups where your people hang out, people who are working toward the same goals or even on the same type of business. I'll plug the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group here, sidehustlenation.com slash FB. We'll get you over there and you can request to join. But in any case, a supportive community who can speak your language, help you out when you're down and cheer for you when you're up. I think that is super important. Second thing is an accountability partner, or even better, a mastermind group. Take the initiative to organize a group yourself. I think the best groups are those where the businesses aren't necessarily all the same, but the members are at a similar stage in their business, if that makes sense. Like it wouldn't necessarily be fair or beneficial for someone earning 50 grand a month to be in a mastermind group with a bunch of people just getting started. But find a few peers at a similar point in their journey, and I can almost guarantee that you'll go farther, faster as a result of holding each other accountable and sharing perspectives, tips, and best practices. Now, even with those elements in place, the last year and a half has felt really isolating for me, especially from our local friends who we haven't seen much of, and my online network, who I normally get to see in person at least once or twice a year. I was able to go to FinCon last month in Austin, and it was so refreshing to see people in real life. The density of conversation is really what keeps me coming back. It's like an unorganized version of speed dating in a way. You get to catch up with everyone over the course of a few short days. 
learn what's new, what's working. And I find even as a self-proclaimed introvert, I get a lot of energy from that. Now, I credit the FinCon community with inspiring a lot of my business growth since I started attending in 2015, in part because it's an exercise in paying attention to what other people are doing versus just being heads down in uh, your cave doing your own thing. Chantal Laverne put it this way in episode 462. Look at other pages in your niche. Don't copy. Don't go steal like people's content. Always credit the content to whoever, whether it's a website or whatever. Give people the credit, but be inspired and look like what you just did. You went to my page and you're like, oh my God, this one has a hundred shares. And oh my God, like, I don't know if you saw, there's one, like the one that I was saying about sensory play ideas. I think I'm at 600 shares. Well, that one reached 150,000 people. When you see a post like that, go read the comments, see what people are saying, check out whatever clicks for someone's audience that's similar to yours. Chances are it's going to do the same for yours. And she's talking about growing a Facebook audience here, but I think the principle applies to whatever content platform you're targeting. See what's working for other people, put your own unique spin on it and go to town. It took an embarrassingly long amount of time for me to simply notice how other people in the space were monetizing, how they were driving traffic, just basic stuff. But that's informed a lot of the content strategy over the last few years. So what can you do to implement this is have a list of the top five or 10 content creators or brands in your niche, in your industry, in your space, and see how they show up. What content of theirs seems to be performing really well? How are they making money? How are they monetizing? And then like Chantal said, don't copy, but be inspired by that. On the personal side, I think the last year and a half has shown how fragile life can be in a lot of ways. And and that was one factor in the decision for uh, Brent and I to move back to the Northwest. We are Washingtonians again after 16 years away for me and 14 years for her. And now all our family is within 20 minutes of our new place. The kids are pumped to be so close to the grandparents. And hopefully we like it here because man, moving, talk about a productivity killer. We severely underestimated the time and mental energy required to make the move. So hopefully we don't have to do that again anytime soon. The kids ask like, well, when are we going back? Like, no, we are staying here for the foreseeable future. And that doesn't even take into account the months that we spent house hunting in futility in a lot of ways. This was a good chance moving was to take inventory of everything in the house, silver lining, right? And uh, question you know, is this something that we really need in our lives? But it was funny, we got a couple moving quotes from moving companies that were like 10 grand, 11 grand. And we were just like, "Uh, I don't know if our stuff is worth that much. Like we seriously contemplated just starting over. We'll just get new stuff when we get there. We ended up uh, finding a great truck driver on the U-Ship platform, uship.com for considerably less than that, but still a stressful process to put eyes and hands on literally everything you own and make that keep, toss, sell, donate decision. I mean, one of the reasons we stayed in California as long as we did, it was hard to leave. It was hard to leave Livermore. That had become our adopted hometown. We had this great crew of local friends. When that's where your life is, it's hard to say goodbye to that. It's a great place to raise a family, but it's not where the rest of our family was at. I remember talking to a friend of mine earlier in our house hunting process when we were still kind of on the fence about making the move. And he talked about how his parents were now 
in their 80s, and he regretted not staying closer to them as they aged and how they didn't have a very strong relationship with the grandkids as a result. So that was another factor that tipped the scales in favor of moving for us. And that kind of leads me to uh, the next piece of advice that I want to highlight that came from Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances in episode 405. Do what works for you. I say that based off of where I am now. And uh, Nick, we were talking up front about sponsorships and how we generate income for the business. And I'm trying to move away from trading time for money, just given how much that I have going on in my life. And I know that there are some revenue streams that may seem obvious and they're quick wins, but sometimes those things can take a toll on you mentally or emotionally. So I'm focused much more on uh, setting up a business and lifestyle that fits the ultimate vision that I have for myself and how I spend my time versus comparing it against what other people are doing. So do what works for you. In the past, I've talked about this painted picture vision that both uh, Jamie Masters from Eventual Millionaire and Brian Scudamore from 1-800-GOT-JUNK encouraged me to create. And one thing that was consistent for both Bryn and I was that we weren't in our former house long-term. We kind of knew that it wasn't in the vision. We had this picture in our mind of what we were looking for, family-friendly community, being able to walk or ride bikes around. But Rich's advice, do what works for you, is something that's crept into my brain, maybe even more than before, and especially for people starting a side hustle. You don't want to get paralysis of analysis, and you can always adjust course later. But when you're considering an idea, or maybe comparing between a couple different options, you got to ask yourself, what if this works? If I follow this path, what does a reasonable level of success look like three to five years from now? Predicting the future can be tough. So in this case, what you can do is look for examples of people who are three to five years ahead of you and who've done reasonably well, right? What does their life look like? What's their day-to-day? Do they have some freedom and, and some leverage over their time and their income? Or are they working 60 hours a week to keep their head above water? I don't think you have to know the end game before you start, but I do think it makes sense to do a little forward mapping to ask yourself, okay, if this is successful, is that what you want? Does it work for you? For example, I was approached by a documentary filmmaker who pitched me on the idea of making a feature-length Side Hustle Nation documentary with me at the center. And of course, that's super flattering and that's intriguing and that's very nice for the ego, but it raised the question, okay, even if this thing is a hit, what does that really get me that I don't have today? Do I really need or want that level of fame uh, and or uh, notoriety? And the answer was no. There are unlimited opportunities. I really believe that. And some are going to be more intriguing than others, to be sure. But riches, do what works for you. Filter is one that I found to be helpful. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Now, especially as time has become more scarce and that family has grown, like we talked about, becoming more selective and prioritizing projects is really something that I'm continuing to work on of those projects this year. There was one inspired by a side hustle show guest actually by his book, and that was John Lee Dumas's The Common Path to Uncommon Success. One of his 17 steps to world domination, that's that's not actually the subtitle of the book, but something like that. One of his 17 steps was pre-selling a solution to a real problem that your audience has. And in my case, I always get a lot of questions on, well, how do I drive traffic? How do I solve the awareness problem in my business? So I actually had to set John's book down for a couple of weeks and go put this into action. I sent out an email and I think the subject line was, should I build this? And it described what I had in mind for an SEO focused course for bloggers and online business owners. I had a low one-time pre-sale introductory price. And I think I said, if I got 20 orders, I'd go ahead and build it. And in just a few days, I had over a hundred orders And so it was very much like, yes, this thing is a go. That was my way of validating it. Now, the Traffic Course, this is at thetrafficcourse.com. It's another digital asset in my storefront, another way to serve people and earn some time-leveraged income at the same time. And I think you can follow the same path or a similar path in any future product or service offerings of your own. Like, don't spend weeks or months toiling away in the basement building your thing I mean, that's the benefit of having an audience, even a small audience. Find out first what problems they have and then if they'd be willing to buy your solution. I'm definitely using the same process to validate future digital product projects of mine. So that was in JLD's book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success. It's a good one, but one aspect that we also touched on on uh, the podcast was his call to be the worst. Niche down enough so you can call yourself the only. Why people win is because they say, I'm going to create the best solution to a real problem. I flippin' love that laundromat podcast idea because guess what? He is the best laundromat podcast in the world. He's also the worst. He's the only. And that's why you win in this world because you become the best. However that is, if that takes you being the only to be the best, 
that's giving you a chance to win because people will beat a path to your doorstep if you're number one. If you're number two, if you're number 10, if you're number 200, you will lose. Yeah, where can you be the only? That was a line that stood out to me from the book. It was like, hey, I, when you started EO Fire, I was the best daily interview podcast for entrepreneurs. I was the worst daily interview podcast for entrepreneurs. I was the only, and that's an interesting place to play. Now they're defunct because they got their lunch eaten by Netflix, but just picture back to the day. If you're over 30 years old, you can probably remember a blockbuster being in your town. You wanted to rent a movie back in the day. You had to go to Blockbuster. They were the only show in town and they won at a high level for that very reason. How can you be the only show in town, the only solution in the world that is the number one solution to a real problem? That's how you're gonna win. Yeah, I'm looking back at some of my previous businesses, my footwear comparison shopping site. It was the best, worst, only comparison shopping site dedicated to footwear. And same thing with the virtual assistant review site. When it started, it was the best, worst, and only platform dedicated to reviewing virtual assistant companies. There you go. Now, how do you reconcile that with my argument that you don't need a completely new business idea? I don't think that you do need a completely new business idea, but I do think you'll have an easier time marketing and positioning if you can play this only game. Like, let's look at the dry cleaners in your town. Kind of a commoditized service. There's one in every strip mall. But what if you're the only one that has free shirt Fridays or home pickup and delivery or same day turnaround or a loyalty rewards program? I think you can play the only game in just about any business. I think it's a fun exercise to try and separate yourself from the competition. Along those lines of serving your audience, letting them tell you their pains and their struggles and then going and either sourcing or building or otherwise providing those solutions. There's a quote that's been on my mind probably from the last couple of years. This is a reframe from Tim Ferriss. What if this were easy? What would this look like if it were easy or effortless? And that's not to say there shouldn't be any struggle because I do think there's value and validation in figuring out hard things and you know working your way through challenges. But you don't need to be like a river trying to flow uphill this is Austin L. Church from episode 417. Pay attention to what wants to happen. When you first get into freelancing, it seems like the wild, wild west, and you may have a lot of opportunities, and then you think, well, I'm going to go after this one. But oftentimes, the second or third project or opportunity or client or whatever is the thing that's more scalable, the thing that will be more sustainable and satisfying. So just keep your eyes open. And maybe another way to put it is look for the easiest money you can make in freelancing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Pay attention to what wants to happen. That actually hits home for me because I guess like you, I thought of myself as a writer first. It was something that I always loved. But the first year of the podcast, it was pretty clear that the podcast was gaining traction much faster than the blog was. And so it was this, okay, pay attention to what wants to happen. Let's double down on this audio format. I like that one. The written content really has taken a backseat this year. Even though I still do like to write, it's just been difficult to carve out the time to create or really even to delegate the quality of content that I want to create. And that's okay. Paying attention to what wants to happen in the time that you have. Another thing I've paid attention to on the written content side, on the blog side, is that the site has earned a certain level of authority in Google. 
but really only on certain topics. Like I can rank pretty well for just about anything side hustle related at this point. But when I try to expand that definition, it doesn't work that well. For example, I wrote a post, what I thought was pretty well done on passive real estate investing, which at one point I think it climbed up to page two in Google, but the top listings were really dominated by sites that centered on real estate investing, which makes sense. That's where they've established their authority and expertise versus me coming in as a side angle from the side hustle topic. But one way that you can check this out for your own site is in Google Search Console, and I think it's called the Search Analytics Report. You can see the search terms that you're getting impressions for today, and then you can work to optimize that content and you can create more on similar topics. It's like that river flowing downhill, one way to pay attention to what already wants to happen. One of the themes of the last year of number one tips was consistency and persistence. For example, we had Josh Belk in episode 415 say consistency always wins. Michael Essek told us to think long term. Matt Rowell said, don't quit in the dip, keep going. Jade Weatherington had this to say. My number one tip is to be consistent and don't give up. I know that's two tips, but be consistent and don't give up. Don't quit. And this isn't uncommon advice, but maybe the reason it's been at the top of my mind lately is that I've just been seeing a little bit of a podcast plateau in terms of the reach or the measurable size of the audience. And that's been going on for the last two or three years. It's great in a way to be able to predictably reach by all accounts a huge number of people. I mean, podcasting is a model that has amazing scale. But on the other hand, I'm still the kind of person who likes to see the charts moving up and to the right. Like, how do we keep this thing growing? I feel like I'm putting out a good product. I feel like I'm doing the consistency thing. And in all honesty, scooping awesome side hustle stories is like legitimately something that lights me up. It's the best part of my job, hands down. Like being able to share stories like Jade's, like Delilah Orpe's, or uh, Steve Nadramia's, or Rachel Jones's, or any number of the other amazing guests. So, in that sense, it's frustrating to see the numbers plateau. And it's these reminders to stay consistent that have been helpful for me. In this clip, John Chorus, he's talking about YouTube specifically, but I think the call to keep posting quality content that you believe in is pertinent across any content channel. You never know which one is going to hit the algorithms just right or end up getting shared. Keep posting quality content that you believe in. And every video that you post is going to bring you one video closer to getting that one video to skyrocket your channel and really bring in the audience that you've been trying to attract. Now, YouTube is another area of opportunity in my business to put a a positive spin on my uh, gross neglect over there. And it's one I'm excited to explore more because it's new, it's fun, and it's got this viral wild card that lets you punch above your weight class, so to speak, and that you can get way more views on a hit video than you have subscribers for on your channel. Among other things that I've procrastinated on, aside from YouTube and uh, written content, was my book project, 1K 100 Ways, which launched at the end of July. Again, I thought this would be the easiest book in the world to create, just crowdsource a bunch of stories from the Side Hustle Nation community, slap them together, clean them up, bing, bang, boom, done uh, in a month. And instead, it was like 10 or 11 months start to finish. And this is where Chris Grant's advice from episode 459 comes into play. Focus on going from zero to 10 and then 10 to 20. I think a lot of times we, uh, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, we see people who look like overnight successes, 
But the thing is, is those people had to go up each rung one step at a time. And if we focus on that, it tends to tends to make our success almost guaranteed as long as we're doing the right steps uh, and not trying to get ahead of ourselves and trip over our own feet. When it came to the book project, I could have done a better job of taking it one rung at a time where instead I often found myself making no progress at all for weeks at a time because it all seemed too daunting. It would have been way more effective to break things down into their smallest actionable steps and start chipping away at those because once you get going, you do start to see some positive momentum. It motivates you to keep going. It's entrepreneurial physics, right? An object in motion stays in motion. And even if that first step is really small, it can be an important one. It can be a powerful one. I did much better at this to to pat myself on the back for the book launch where uh, I broke down the steps and the timeline to get those steps done. Even though it was what I kind of called a, a lazy launch, the book still did really well. It's now earned over 100 five-star reviews and it's making consistent sales. Another evergreen asset in the storefront, right? Start stacking up these assets that can serve people and earn money without your direct involvement. You can find that book if you're curious at 1k100ways.com. So if you've got a project that you've been procrastinating on, consider Chris's advice to take one step on the ladder at a time. I've been guilty of this as well when it comes to rebuilding some of the email automation sequences, the welcome sequences, onboarding sequences, quote unquote sales funnels. They've got a, a bunch of different names, but I procrastinated on that because it's perceived in my head to be this big amorphous project that you know takes a lot of time, takes a lot of brain power. But I, in reality, I could easily start chipping away at that, maybe draw it out on paper first and then start you know creating one email, one landing page at a time. Now for much of the last year and a half, and the reason for a lot of this, you know, slowdown in work has been, you know, I've been down to working two days a week, plus some toddler nap times in the afternoon, if I'm lucky. And that's been awesome to have that flexibility, to have that extra time with the kids while they're this age, realizing, hey, they're never going to be this age again. But it's also been the source of some anxiety because of a couple of things. Number one, I, I really like my work and there's so many cool, fun, challenging projects to tackle. And the second thing was I was very much aware of all the stuff that I wasn't getting done. I felt like I was in uh, maintenance mode a lot of the time rather than growth mode. And to be fair, maintenance is important. Like we looked at a lot of houses during our house hunting with plenty of deferred maintenance and they didn't look good. So you can't necessarily neglect that stuff, but it can lead to this feeling of not making progress, which again, according to Tony Robbins is the one word secret to happiness, progress. One way to combat that is to take Kate Erickson's advice from episode 401, The Productivity Pyramid. It really starts with that time that you set to be so clear on your vision and your goals. Because until you can get to that place, everything that comes after that, the projects, the tasks, the tools, none of it's really going to get you where you want to go if you don't have a clear picture of where that is. So like you said, Nick, maybe you just have 15 minutes. That's fine. Sit down with a notebook or, you know, open up your computer and note taking system and start writing out. Like, what is that vision? What is that next goal that you want to work on? And have that laser focus and that discipline to help get yourself there. It's once you start putting this into practice, I, I mean, it will change everything. I've heard from so many people who have taken the time to implement this focus, this discipline whether it's using a journal or, you know, on your own with other tools that you found, 
it's going to make a huge impact on your journey. Yeah, absolutely right. You've got to ask yourself, was I busy today or was I effective today? Did I make progress? You know, that's the big thing. Or did I just go through the motions, right? Am I better off today than I was yesterday? Hopefully the answer is yes for you. Hopefully the answer is yes for tuning into this stuff. eofire.com. The new podcast is Ditch Busy. Check Kate's stuff out over there. DitchBusy.com will give you a bunch of places where you can find it. Kate, thank you again for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. My number one tip is every single day, start asking yourself at the beginning of the day, what is my biggest priority today? And keep that focus in mind throughout the day. If you have to reprioritize, something gets in your way, something unexpected happens, that's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself. Just get back to that priority and let's make some magic happen. It's that combination of big picture vision, big picture goal, and then the daily prioritization of the steps or tasks that you need to take to get there. My typical system that I've been using for several years is writing down my top three priorities for tomorrow, the night before, so I know exactly what to work on and in what order the moment the workday starts. And when I do that, I feel great. I feel so much more effective than just being busy. But it's a habit, if I'm being honest, it hasn't been super consistent over the last couple months as we've been in moving limbo and daycare limbo and workspace limbo, just trying to establish some new routines, understanding what our new normal is going to look like so we can get back to making that magic happen. And to continue on this theme of being effective and not just busy, kicking yourself out of maintenance mode and into growth mode, one thing that the move showed me was how well certain systems in my business worked and how poorly others did. It was like the laptop test that Tyler Gillespie described in episode 430. I kind of wrote down five different ways that other service businesses could actually think about kind of designing their business for an exit and some of the things I implemented and thought about as well. Um, And the first one, to your point of what you just kind of talked about was I had written down like passing the laptop test. Um, And essentially what I mean by this is if you closed your laptop today, like how long would your business survive? And that's really important because if someone's going to buy your business, it's a huge tell like how dependent the business is on you. Um, And the more team you can have implemented and built around yourself um, where you could close your laptop and step away for two weeks a month, which is like kind of the goal I try to set, then the better off your business is going to be. That's going to be really attractive for an investor. And not that I have the desire to sell side hustle nation, but I think this laptop test is still a good exercise. When I more or less did that for what felt like three or four weeks, it was kind of a stress test for the business for certain systems that I had set up. I had pre-scheduled the podcast episodes, so those went out without a hitch. The site continued to earn traffic from Google and earn affiliate commissions, but certain things didn't go so well, like email got piled up, requests to join the Facebook group sat in moderation for quite a while. I still needed to draft my newsletters. And again, I tend to focus on the bad stuff, like what broke, what needed attention, which in a way like the whole exercise was was positive because it forced me to start thinking about what other processes could be delegated to members of the team. And following my chat with Chris Misterick, I started building out with a more concerted effort my process library in Google Docs accompanied by uh, some screen share videos that I made with Screencast-O-Matic. Here's what Chris had to say in episode 458. 
at the very beginning, you want to try to put systems and methodologies in place that is going to make it easier for you to do the work efficiently. So I started out with no systems. I got really busy and realized I've got to put some things into place that makes my work efficient so I'm not working 80 hours, 100 hours a week. So I definitely encourage people to to think about in terms of where you want to end up, right? Where you want to end. Do you do you want to be working 80 hours a week? Of course not. So you want to find a way to have a side hustle that you can do in a reasonable amount of time. And the only way to do that is to have systems and uh, set up automations, different things that you're doing that's going to really help you to get to that point. How do you know what to create a system for? Well, Erin Chase from $5 Dinners gave me her rule of two several years ago. The rule of two states that anytime you find yourself doing a task for the second time and you can foresee yourself having to do it again at some point in the future, write down that system, document the process, and delegate that to a trusted member of your team. This actually starts to be a pretty fun game, thinking about all the stuff in your business that you don't necessarily need to be the bottleneck for. And finally, the last number one tip for this episode comes from Matt Ralph in episode 450. Make sure you ask for advice and get advice from people who know what they're doing right from the start, because it will save you so much trouble and time in the future, but also it will mean you'll get better results. You know, there are so many things I wish I had done. And if I had spoken to more people, or if I had hired some experts in marketing and book marketing and things like that on Fiverr or wherever it might be, I would have saved myself a lot of time, but I also would have capitalized on a lot of the opportunities that I missed. I've still got a frugal streak a mile wide and and the stubbornness to say, shoot, I can figure this out on my own. But this is one area that I've started to embrace more and more over the last few years. Buy the book, buy the course, hire the consultant, pay the pro, because in most cases, it's such a shortcut to tap into the brain power of somebody else who's been there, done that, already gotten the result that you're trying to achieve. So to recap, in this episode, we have got the advice to surround yourself with like-minded people from Monisha Misra, be inspired by what other people and other brands in your niche are doing from Chantal Laverne, do what works for you, courtesy of Rich Jones, become the best solution to a real problem, JLD, remember that call to be the best, be the worst, be the only, pay attention to what wants to happen from Austin L. Church. John Chorus reminded us to keep posting quality content, be consistent. Chris Grant said to focus on one step of the ladder at a time. Ask yourself your biggest priority every day. Thanks to Kate Erickson for that. Put your business through the laptop test. Thanks to Tyler Gillespie. Create some systems and workflows from Chris Misterick. And then finally, Matt Ralph was get some advice from people who know what they're doing. You can find all 49 tips from the last 49 guests at sidehustlenation.com slash tips eight. Again, the eighth installment of this format. What do you think? Do you have a favorite moment, a favorite story, a favorite soundbite from the last year of the show? Let me know in the comments. You can hit me up on uh, Twitter or Instagram. I'm at nloper. One quick favor to ask, if you like what you've been hearing on the Side Hustle Show, make sure to, number one, tell a friend. Number two, make sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app of choice. For me, that's uh, Overcast, and uh, you can upvote or uh, recommend your favorite episodes by hitting the star button. You'll also find the show in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music. It is everywhere. 
We've got some good things coming up, including some uh, crowdsourced marketing ideas from members of Side Hustle Nation, like what's working now in their businesses, and my annual Thanksgiving episode on 10 creative side hustles that make real money. You won't want to miss it. Big thanks to all our incredible guests over the last year of the show. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Whether this is your first time or your 467th, thank you. For real, it means the world to me that you would invest some of your time listening to this stuff. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.